just trying to shoot the moon Using everything we've got that's just a piece of a spoon Welcome to The Word Witch, a podcast for the modern magical soul, exploring tarot, astrology, belief, and more from a queer witch, that's me, in conversation with folks making magic from the margins. I'm your host, Claire Burgess. Let's make some magic. Hello friends, witches, otherlings, and welcome to another episode of The Word Witch. Uh, Today we have our Tarot Number Families lesson on the fours. That's the Emperor, Death, and the fours from the Minor Arcana. So um, I've got a really good episode in store for you today. I'm really excited about it. Way more excited than I thought I would be about talking about the Emperor, but (laughs) I am. I've got some good stuff. Um, First, I wanted to mention that um, next week, March 20th, is the Spring Equinox. This is the day when um, spring starts to return. This is the day when the sun crosses north of the uh, equator. And the northern hemisphere starts to tip back towards the sun. Um, In the southern hemisphere, of course, it's not the spring equinox, it's the fall equinox. And the southern equinox starts to tip towards winter. So this is a really uh, powerful, pivotal point. For uh, those of us in the northern hemisphere, the spring equinox is, um, it's about rebirth. (laughs) It is. It is. We've been in winter, in the dark, in the void, in the rest of winter, um, gestating, waiting, and now it's ready to start coming forth again, to start sending those shoots up above the ground. I will have uh, more information about that on my Instagram when we get closer to the spring equinox. I always do a spread for it and I'll have a little bit more to say. This is also a really cool one uh, because there's a full moon on the same day as the spring equinox and that's pretty powerful. Um, That doesn't happen very often. So that's going to be, I think it's, yeah, it's a few hours after the spring equinox, which uh, for those of you uh, on in the in the Pacific time zone, uh, that's going to be on Wednesday, March 20th at 2.58 p.m. Pacific time. That's the exact time of the equinox. A few hours after that, we're going to have a full moon in Libra. And to make things even cooler and weirder, we actually have two Libra full moons this year because of the way that the astrology falls and how the moon is falling. It's at zero degrees um, Aries, or sorry, <laughs> zero degrees Libra for this full moon. And then for the next one in April, I can't remember the exact date. It's going to be at the very, very end of Libra. So it's really cool. It's a really cool time. 
So on Wednesday, March 20th, do something to celebrate it. Do something to honor it. Do a little ritual. I might have something to suggest on my Instagram or on my website. And I'm trying to think if I have any other announcements. Oh, um, I do. So this month, instead of having another, um, uh, instead of the second podcast episode being an interview episode this month, uh, I'm going to do a question and answer um, episode. So I've already received a bunch of listener questions in my email and through my Patreon, and I will be answering those on the next episode. If you have a question you want me to answer, or you just like want, um, I don't know, want another opinion on or gosh, it can be like about, I don't know, whatever, tarot, it can be about astrology, it can be about um, ritual, it can be about me and my life. Um, If I don't want to answer it because it's too personal, I won't answer it. No hard feelings. It's cool. So send me those questions. You can send them to the wordwitchpodcast at gmail.com. And in that episode, I'm hoping I'll also be able to have some time to sit down with Aaron and um, follow up on some tarot ethics uh, topics, some of which were brought up in some of the questions I got. So that's what our second episode this month is going to be. I'm excited about it. Shoot me those emails. All right. So uh, let's talk about the fours. All right. Let's talk about the fours and the emperor and the number family of the fours. Um, So let's start, as I always do, with the numerology, the number four. Uh, What does it mean? So we talked about the one uh, back with the magician and how that was just like a single point in the void, total oneness, first thing, new beginning, spark. Uh, We talked about the two energy and how the two brings us um, separateness and duality and the knowledge of separateness and difference. And also then the possibility for connection and communication and relationships. And we talked about the three, the Empress's number, um, which is where we have the two coming together to create a third thing. Um, like like uh, chemistry, like alchemy, you combine two substances and they react and they form a new thing. And then we have three and three brought us, if we connect three lines, or I'm sorry, three points, we have a shape. We have a triangle, the first shape. When we only had two points and connected those, we had a line. Now in the three, we got a shape. So we talked about three as being about creativity, uh, growth, fullness, abundance. Um, And now we're at the four. So what do you get when you connect four points? A square. (laughs) A square. And the square is a symbol of the earth and the material physical world and of civilization. Um, the number four, like if you think about, a, if you think about a square or if you think about a box, makes total sense. Fours are about stability, structure, security. There are four legs on a table, 
right? If we had three legs on a table, it might be a little bit wonky, but that fourth leg, leg allows it to be firm and stable and we can stack stuff on it and we can eat on it, like whatever. And the four is the number of uh, the earth and the material physical world because of that stability, right? Because of that firm foundation energy. Um, and also because there's a lot of fours in the natural world. There's four elements, right? Earth, air, fire, water, four, four classical elements. Uh, there's four seasons, right? Um, there's, uh, let's see, what are some other fours? Um, Okay, because I'm a total nerd, um, there's four base nucleotides in DNA, um, the building block of, of our, our life, right? So four is a really important number for the material world. And the four is also the number and shape of civilization. So back to that square. Uh, think of a house, just like a simple house. Uh, like in a, in a simple house, we have four walls right? Four exterior exterior walls give us a house. Um, inside, all of the rooms have four walls. There's that sort of stability, that safety, that security that comes with the number four, safe as houses. Think of a city planned on a grid, right? Endless uh, like boxes of city blocks formed by crossing streets. Um, the four is the number of civilization because it allows us to structure and organize and therefore to extend and expand. Uh, the emperor builds empires after all, right? And if you try to build on a massive scale, like an empire or like a city, even just a city without structure, without structure and order and some sort of control, you get chaos. You get chaos. Things fall apart, right? Uh, or at least it's not uh, functional. There's 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 dysfunctional aspects there without that structure and order and control. So those things, those sound like um, those might sound like bad qualities, but they are necessary for cultivated expansion and cultivated growth, planned growth. So uh, those words might sound familiar, expansion and growth, because we talked about expansion and growth with the Empress too. And that's because each of these two archetypes, the Empress and the Emperor, shows a different face or mode of growth. The Empress is organic growth natural expansion. They are the initial gift and flood of creativity and fertility. They are the birthing of these things of abundance unto the earth. Uh, they are the wild grown wheat and the trailing squash vine. Um, and now the Empress brings us that, these wild fruits, these, these expanding trailing crops and seeds on the wind and vines climbing over everything. And the Emperor then comes in and cultivates, cultivates that bounty. The Emperor gathers the fruit and the seeds. They they clear the fields, they plow the earth, and then they plant those seeds in orderly rows with the right 
spacing and the right fertilizer and the right amount of water, the right companion plants, the right orientation to the sun's light at the right time of day in the right season and all of the right ingredients to grow the most abundant crop with the best yield possible, right? So where the Empress lets their vines sprawl in their natural way, the Emperor stakes the vines so they don't crowd each other, and so they'll all get enough light, and so the fruits don't grow weird, (laughs) So while the empress is natural growth and expansion, the emperor is cultivated growth and expansion. Um, And so I really like that word cultivated, that word cultivation for the emperor. And that's because um, I think that helps us understand it and understand that emperor energy in a way that um, departs from the traditional associations of this card with like macho-ness, masculinity, uh, like ruler and commander style, style stuff. So yeah, traditionally, just like the Empress was associated, and we talked about this on the last Number Families episode, two episodes ago, uh, just like the Empress is traditionally associated with femininity and women and et cetera, et cetera, and these like feminine things, but is actually just an energy that is is genderless and exists in all of us, all of us humans, no matter what our gender is or what our gender identity is. Um, And it also exists in plants and in animals and in rocks, (laughs) in in genderless things, um, in, in abstract concepts. Same thing is true for the emperor, right? So while traditionally this relationship of Empress Emperor has had um, a very gendered association between the two. Um, It has also had a hierarchy to it in which the Emperor is superior to the Empress. (laughs) Um, And that idea comes, you know, straight from the patriarchy and also from this idea that intellect and order um, is like superior or something like that's that's the best thing that's the highest thing however <laughs> however that mode of thinking artificially supposes that intellect is supreme that control means mastery etc 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 and why why do we assume that because of our patriarchal culture um, that's hmm, for so, so long, for centuries and centuries, for thousands of years, has elevated those concepts of like big brainedness, control, physical might above things like creation, things like nurture and, and caretaking and stuff like that. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, y'all. The emperor wouldn't have anything to cultivate without the empress. The emperor wouldn't have any rich, creative, fertile materials with which to grow and build without the empress. Uh, the emperor would, all, all, all they would have is a barren plot of dirt. 
In fact, if you take a look at the card in the Smith-Waite, Rider-Waite-Smith deck, uh, you'll see that behind the emperor, the background is in fact a rocky and barren landscape, like craggy, totally inhospitable, no, no fertility, no abundance there. So these two cards work together. They, the emperor and the empress cooperate to enhance the abundance of all. But I think that it's important to note that while the two can cooperate with each other to great results, um, they are also distinct and independent energies. They are distinct, they are independent, and they are also equal. They are equal energies. So I just want to like push back a little bit against this like ingrained idea that probably many of us have, not because we have chosen to have it, but just because it's been embedded in our minds at some point, this like ingrained idea that the emperor is the best. The emperor is the ruler, right? The, the empress is just like, uh, I don't know, the emperor's breeder, <laughs> I mean, that's crass, um, but that's how this very gendered relationship of emperor and empress has existed on occasion. And that's not fair to either of those energies, not fair to either of them. So there is no, there's no hierarchy here, or there doesn't have to be. Um, any hierarchy that we perceive with these cards uh, has come from elsewhere. It has come from society and culture, and and not from not from the essences of these energies themselves. So let's take them back. <laughs> let's take them back. And I also want to talk about this card's relationship with the patriarchy and with toxic masculinity for a moment. Uh, this is a card that a lot of people, especially women and femmes. Uh, have a hard time vibing with, have a hard time with sometimes because of that connection to patriarchy and to masculinity. Um, and also because of some of the ways that the card is classically depicted. Um, a lot of times it's depicted as a military commander, right? Um, the Smith Waite deck, uh, the, the emperor has armor on, there's like an armored uh, foot armor, armor shoe. I don't know. The, the equivalent of a gauntlet, but for a foot. <laughs> um, there's a, there's sort of a military aspect to it, um, which has these connotations of like aggression and control and like domination and force. Right. Um, and I think that tarot readers, uh, and the people who seek out tarot are a kind of a kind of a self-selecting group of people um, who are more likely to be pacifists or to prioritize things like cooperation and mutual respect um, instead of like martial law or dictatorship, right? So when we're presented with a figure that's depicted that way, of course we react negatively toward it. That's natural. That's natural. But while a military commander certainly probably does carry emperor energy, um, so do city planners, so do architects, so do engineers, 
uh, conductors of the orchestra, uh, cartographers. Um, and so does that farmer who I was talking about who plants an orderly rose and rotates their crops and distributes those crops to market and balances their books and creates a system to cultivate their expansion. Because the emperor is all about that. It's about creating that system. It's about boxes. It's about design. It's about order, right? When we pull the emperor, one of the things that they can show up to tell us is like, all right, you are in control (laughs) in like a good way, not in like a forceful, domineering way, but in like a, you got this, you were in control. Now apply your intellect, apply your uh, skills and foresight onto whatever it is that you're doing and plan, plan, organize, um, conquer, (laughs) get it, right? So we don't have to conceptualize the emperor as a commander or a stern leader or a tyrant or anything like that, because in fact, a tyrant is a perversion of emperor energy. Uh, Imperialism, colonialism, both emperor gone totally wrong, perversions of that emperor energy. Those are all emperor without empress, emperor who's lost connection to source and to the earth, that, which is that four energy of the earth and has become only self-serving, right? And that, that is not real, pure, authentic emperor. And as insofar as the emperor is associated with masculinity, I think that the quicker we are able to reconnect to the emperor's true energy as something holistic and good and and helpful and designed to cultivate and and enhance the abundance for all, the quicker we can do that, the quicker I think that we can realize as a society that the version of masculinity that we celebrate in our culture is broken. The quicker we're able to reconnect to that authentic emperor energy, the faster we'll realize that this toxic masculinity is toxic. It's toxic masculinity, masculinity, not true masculinity. Um, And for those who aren't familiar with the term toxic masculinity, that's like the whole like aggro, competitive male thing, like pissing contest thing. Um, Like uh, that's how we've socialized our our boys to not show emotions, you know, to not have emotions, to not to not admit to having emotions, to be hard all the time, and to constantly seek out to be top dog and to dominate others. Because if they don't, then they are somehow not men. That is toxic masculinity. That does not serve any of the people that are affected by it. So masculinity... And the emperor teaches us this. Masculinity doesn't have to be hard and tough and aggressive and unfeeling. It doesn't have to be top dog or nothing, right? It doesn't have to prove anything. It can be solid and stable without being rigid and unmovable. 
It can lend structure to hold space for emotion and rest and sweetness. It can provide care and nurture in its own way. It can be proud and strong without being oppressive. Um, Lindsay Mack often, Lindsay Mack of the Tarot for the Wild Soul podcast, um, she often compares the emperor to the redwood tree as a model for unapologetically taking up space and for being who you are in confidence and authenticity. Um, And I like that comparison that Lindsay has because Aside from redwoods being like really big, just like majestically beautiful trees that model that confidence and that taking up space, um, they're also, redwoods are also part of an ecosystem. They are hosts and providers for all manner of life and creatures. Their roots, their roots help stabilize the earth and the other roots of other trees and other plants around it. Um, Their branches are homes for birds and squirrels and spiders and fungus and ferns and (laughs) whatever else. Um, So like the redwood tree, the emperor isn't separate from the ecosystem of their empire. They are part of it and they are an essential part of the structure of it that allows and supports their ecosystem to thrive. They're not on top of it. They are within it. They are all through it. They are below it. And when the emperor card shows up in our lives, um, it can ask us to do that. Ask us, you know, where in your life do you need structure? Where do you need a little bit more of a system or of an intentional, intelligent design? Uh, Where can you use those boxes? Use those boxes to organize, to stack, to compartmentalize, to group, you know, in what ways can you apply um, your mind and your power and your wisdom in order to shape your life for supporting the most growth possible? That's the emperor. Yeah. Now let's talk about death. (laughs) So uh, card number 13, uh, one plus three is four. So that means that death is part of the four's number family with the emperor. And we've established in past episodes that the like higher version of the major arcana card, um, so like the four, the emperor up to 13 death, um, that higher uh, higher numbered major arcana card is kind of like an evolution or a different face of the same energy. It's like a higher octave of the same energy. Um, so let's talk about that. Um, on the surface, it might be hard to see how the emperor and death are very connected. But here's the thing. So if the emperor is about design, structure, cultivation, order, stuff like that. Death is an essential part of the intelligent design of the universe. 
Death is the spiral of life, death, rebirth, and it's also the spiral shell of the nautilus and the snail and the spiral of a new fern unfolding and the spiraled double helix of our DNA. <laughs> Just like fours are embedded all over the natural world, um, so is that spiral that death models for us. Uh, four is the number of the earth and the material physical world, and death is an essential part of that. And yeah, I'm talking literal death, death of plants and animals and living organisms, which then compost to create the fertile, energy-rich soil necessary for new life to grow. Um, and I'm also talking about death in a broader way as the cycle the spiral. Uh, so the cycling seasons, for, insta for instance, are essential for life as we know it. Um, and that might seem obvious, but like, I mean, really, really essential. So um, I was just watching, uh, Aaron and I were just watching a documentary on Netflix uh, called, the documentary series called One Strange Rock. Um, it's narrated by Will Smith. <laughs> uh, um, and um, it's about like the earth and space and how life on earth became a thing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and in one episode, it talks about um, how the tilt of the earth's axis was, which is what creates the seasons, by the way, it's that that tilt of the earth's axis. Um how that was an integral part of making this planet a perfect host for life. Like we might not have life here if the Earth's axis wasn't tipped just enough to create the seasons, right? And there are even more cycles like the revolution of the Earth that creates day and night, uh, the orbit of the moon that creates the tides, uh, the circling of the earth around the sun that also is part of what gives us seasons and years, um, the spiral of the Milky Way galaxy that we're just slowly spinning our way through. All these things are cycles and spirals that existed long before the evolution of life on this planet and that made it possible for that life to germinate on this planet in the first unicellular organism and then to slowly evolve and expand, <laughs> there's that word expand, across time into the however many billions of species of life that we have on the planet now. Um, the cycle, so the cycle is necessary for all, for everything. It gives rise to the empress's fecundity and the emperor's cultivation. Um, and then it brings the emperor down when it's time. Because in the emperor, it's easy to think that we have complete control. And we don't. Right? We don't. Um, the farmer can't force their crops into fruiting forever. There's a harvest and a reaping. There's the death card. Uh, the soil needs to rest and compost and lie fallow. 
uh, before it can carry life again. That's part of the death card. That's part of the cycle. Um, and if the farmer tries to push it and tries to seed the same depleted land over and over again for too long without rest, um, the crops won't grow. Or they'll grow, but they'll be stunted or they won't fruit, right? So death teaches the emperor that they have to work within the cycle, that the cycle is greater than them, no matter how vast their empire or how successful their earthly workings or, or whatever, eventually the emperor too will die. They will die and be returned to the earth that created them. And their energy will be reabsorbed into the cycle and the spiral will carry on. <laughs> and we can see that idea too of the emperor being being brought low in the Smithwaite card as well. Underneath death's white horse, there's a king on the ground. This idea of the death of the king, something that we think is just so powerful and lofty and and important and maybe can seem immortal, right? Untouchable. Even the king is brought low eventually. Even the king succumbs to the cycle. And that's okay. That's okay. So when the death card shows up in readings, it doesn't tell us that we're going to die. <laughs> I mean, in, in the way that like, yes, of course, that's true. We're all going to die. Sure. But I mean, it doesn't show up to be like, you're going to die soon or somebody that you love is going to die or something like that. Like, no, I have never, I have never in my experience seen that, seen that happen. So the death card in tarot doesn't usually show up to be like literal death and instead shows up to talk about death of other things, um, letting go of things that need to die, recognizing what part of the life-death-rebirth cycle we are currently in, and then choosing to partner with death with endings, with finality and letting go in order to release, in order to release, in order to end things that need to be ended, in order to clear out that that land for us to be reborn, right? To let the fields lie pharaoh until we transform underneath them and then shoot up from the ground again which is, by the way, what we're about to do in airy season, right? Oh, <laughs> and um, Aries rules the emperor, right? So we're about to enter Aries season with the spring equinox on March 20th, which is where we are reborn. The spring equinox rebirths us from the dark part of the year, which we do with Aries, where we then rise up boldly um, with that self-assured bold fire of Aries and say here I am here I am again reborn stronger yeah yeah so there's another example of death and the emperor working together directly death delivers us through the equinox into Aries season wow <laughs> that just occurred to me now Synchronicity. I did not plan that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so death um, asks us to partner with it in order to end what needs to end. Um, 
And that, in turn, clears the way for us to transform, for us to rebirth, for the cycle and the spiral to continue. So death teaches us that structure, the structure of the emperor, that structure and order eventually succumbs to the spiral as well, just like everything else. And also that death's spiral itself is also a kind of structure, isn't it? It's a pattern. It's a design. It's an organizing principle. The cycle is. So it's a different kind of structure, though. So rigid, uh, ordered structure tilts itself into fluidity and change in the death card. And it has to do that. Structure has to be able to do that in order to adapt and evolve, in order to stay, uh, stay useful. We have to be adaptable. We have to be open to change and revision and to letting go of what's not working. Because otherwise, if we just keep trying to do the same old thing when it's not working, we get stuck. We get stuck. And then that structure, that stability just sort of like tips into stagnancy, to stagnancy, rigidity, stuckness. Yeah. And so death is the big teacher of the emperor that we have to be able to change we have to be able to change and evolve. The square tips into the spiral. And that is so, so important. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Let's talk about the minor fours. I told y'all I had so much to say about the emperor. I really surprised myself when I was writing all this down. Um, so uh, in the minor fours, I think the two key words here that sort of largely apply to how the four manifests through these cards, um, I think the two best words are stability and stagnancy. Stability and stagnancy. Um, to return briefly to uh, Lindsay Mack's metaphor about the redwood tree for the emperor, another great, great thing about that metaphor is that even redwood trees bend, right? All trees, all trees, when if a strong wind comes along, they have to be a little bit supple and a little bit able to bend or else they will break. They will break and they will topple, right? So the minor forests teach us lessons about structure and stability and also about stagnancy. So let's take a look. Uh, let's start with the four of wands. So the four of wands, oh, when I think of this card, I think of stable fire, like a steady warmth like a good hearth fire, right? Because um, that's that, that's the number four, that steadiness, that structure combined with the fire of the wands. So this is, this is like a hot rock that you have your feet on. It's a great feeling. So the four of wands can mean that things are going good. Um, that after all the dreaming and planning of the two of wands and the uh, launching and growing of the three of wands, now in the four, we have arrived at a place of stability and equilibrium. So this can be like, um, where you've been like busting your ass and trying really hard 
to like start your business or your consulting firm or whatever, and you finally start turning a small profit, right? That's the four of wands. This could be securing a, an affordable lease, <laughs> after a long period of searching. Uh, this could be reaching a steady and healthy place in your workplace, your career, your personal and romantic relationships. Yeah, um, it's got a celebratory feel to it. If you look at the card in the Smithwaite deck, it looks like there's like a wedding going on. That's what I think. Other people look at it and just see a party. Um, so this card, that celebration feel, it often um, shows up to encourage us to appreciate ourselves and our efforts and to feel good about what we've done so far, right? To feel good about it and know that we have reached a point of success, even if like we're not um, uh, like in the business example, even when we're not being like super successful, like we're successful enough, we're good, we're good. That's what the Four of Wands says. Yeah, yeah. So that's probably the most positive <laughs> of the uh, of the four uh, minor fours. Uh, let's look at the Four of Swords. So for this card, the Four of Swords is about rest. It's about rest and recuperation. Uh, but it's not about like going to sleep permanently. It's not about retiring altogether. Or not necessarily. I could see it coming up for that. But the implication of the Four of Swords is that we have been going at it too hard. <laughs> and soon we're going to screw up or make a mistake if we keep going, if we keep pushing ourselves like we're pushing ourselves. So this card kind of feels like burnout a little bit, but not quite. Um, I think that burnout is more Ten of Wands. But with swords being the suit of the mind and thoughts, etc., the Four of Swords is more like um, a time when we won't allow ourselves to stop, where our minds or our will keeps pushing and pushing and demanding and demanding, when our bodies and our hearts and also our minds need to rest, need a fucking break. Right. So I think of um, I think of a, a metaphor, a good metaphor here is driving, driving a long distance through the night. Right. So, you know, maybe we've we set a schedule for ourselves and we need to make it somewhere like three states away by morning. And so we push ourselves to stay awake behind the wheel, to keep driving and keep driving and we get tired and our eyes start drooping. And so we blare music and like we roll down the windows for that cold air and we pound back the caffeine. But nothing is going to stop our eyes from closing eventually. And it's better, it's a better idea to pull over. It's a better idea to pull over and take a nap and be a little bit late in the morning than to keep driving and maybe never get there at all. So the four energy here in this card grounds that air energy of the swords and encourages us to take some space, to take a break, to get some rest until we're back in fighting shape. It tells us that if we keep pushing like we're pushing, we're, we're not in good shape. We're like something bad's going to happen. We're going to hurt ourselves or, you know, make a mistake or something, um, we got to just, we got to take a rest. And then 
After that, we can re-enter the fight, right? Or get back on the road and we can do it sharper and clearer and healthier and ready to go. So that's four of swords. Um, Four of cups. Four of cups. This card is about, um, it's, it can be about dissatisfaction. It can be about depression. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it feels a lot, um, like emotional blahness, you know, like just when you're not, you're just feeling low. This card is the flip side of that steady, stable energy where, so cups are water, right? The four of cups is where the water stops flowing and becomes stagnant and stagnant water starts to stink, (laughs) right? Quickly starts to stink. This card usually shows up in my experience as a wake-up call to pay attention to our emotional state because often when this card shows up, we aren't aware yet that we have dipped so low. It's easy to just sort of like slip into a rut and not realize it right? Not realize it until you're like really, really in it. Um, So when this card shows up, it asks us to intentionally look at what is making us feel bad, right? So what are we bummed about? Where have we become dissatisfied? Um, What dreams have grown stale? Uh, The Smithwaite image has a rather mopey looking fella sitting cross-legged under a tree um, and there's a cup being offered to him like ace of cup style hand from a cloud right and the person's like purposefully not looking at it or maybe they're not purposefully not looking at it maybe they just don't see it so either they are unaware of it like they're just so deep in their emotion, their mope, their lowness, that they don't see what's being offered to them, or they are intentionally ignoring it because they're so deep in the bad feels that they're just like, no. (laughs) So this card can sometimes have touches of cynicism to it as well, like a kind of feeling of like, I don't want your damn cup. (laughs) But the Four of Cups appears to remind us to take the cup. So I do want to say that it is important to remember the cycle here in this card too, um, because it is completely natural to have cycling moods. We all do. We all have cycling moods. It's like just part of our like biology. Um, Sometimes we feel good. Sometimes we feel bad. Sometimes we feel meh. You know, it's normal. It's normal. And when we're experiencing, when we're experiencing a normal mood cycle or when we're feeling down about like a specific thing that has us bummed out or depressed or upset, um, there are usually ways we can sort of stir up the stagnant waters in order to support ourselves into feeling better. However, a lot, a lot, a lot of people also experience mood disorders right? Like depression and bipolar and stuff like that. And if that's you, or you feel like it might be you, you should consider seeking a mental health professional to help you out. Um, Because sometimes, uh, a lot of the time, actually, uh, you can't strong arm yourself into a better mood. Sometimes you need therapy or medication, and there is no, no, no shame in either of those things. 
Um, so I just always have to say this with the Four of Cups because it can speak to um, things like depression, to like a mood disorder, to something that you need to um, seek out some professional help with because I am not a doctor <laughs> or a trained mental health professional and neither is the tarot. Neither is the tarot. <laughs> the tarot can be a great tool to use alongside professional treatment, but it ain't gonna resolve your depression or your bipolar disorder, whatever it is, alone. Um, so if this applies to you, and I bet you know if it does, do yourself a favor, do yourself a Google search, or ask a friend for a recommendation, and like, go see someone, get some help, and don't be ashamed. There is no shame there. There is no shame there. Only good sense and self-care, right? And so while uh, the that cup coming out of the cloud can be like, you know, chin up, like optimism, like do something to um, shake yourself out of your funk. It can also be like, hey, book that therapy appointment. Take the cup. Take the cup. Okay, lastly, the four of pentacles. Uh, four of pentacles. So the four, as we've said many times at this point, is about uh, is the number of the material plane, the physical plane, the earth. And pentacles is also the suit of earth, the suit of the material physical world. So the four of pentacles talks a lot about material security, um, pro protecting what's yours, a sense of of having stability, of like of, of amassing a little bit of um like having built something, having worked hard to build something that's good, that's good and that's yours, and and keeping it, protecting it. So it can be about boundaries, it can be about setting boundaries and about safety. Um and it can feel good. It can show up to be like, hey, go you, you have got, you know, you've got some savings. I don't know. Remember, pinnacles don't have to talk about finances, and a lot of times they don't. But uh, it's maybe, maybe it can be like, um, you have a super stable home life. <laughs> These things sound so boring, but like, they're really good things. They're really essential, essential, good, wonderful things. Um, I would like both of those things very much, universe. Um, but also the flip side of the four of pentacles is that that sort of material security and that sort of um, boundaries thing can also tilt into possessiveness, possessiveness, greediness. Um, and, and I mean, not so much like greedy as in like mine, 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 but more of like a, out of a sense of or a fear of lack or even more often than that, this this energy, the four of pentacles, this four can be about a fear of expansion. The four of pentacles, once we get to that stable place, that stable place materially, right? Physically, financially, whatever it may be, where we've got a roof over our head, we've got, you know, an apartment we like, we have a job that's good and that pays the bills, um, we've reached a, a, a place of equilibrium, maybe just like personally, like we we feel good. We like trust ourselves and love ourselves. All these things are great, right? But we can also, once we have that, especially if there was ever a time when we didn't have those things, 
it can be easy to then want to stay there, to just want to stay in that safe, warm, cozy place and not expand, not expand, not grow, not move, but just stay in that safe place. So I think that's always the, um, that's the warning with the four of pentacles is, are you allowing yourself to get stuck? Are you allowing yourself to go still and stagnant because you are satisfied with where you're at and you're afraid of doing anything different? Um, I see this come up sometimes with people who've been in the same job for a really long time, for instance, and they like their job. They do. They like it. It's good. They haven't gotten a raise in like two years or it's been something just like paltry and they feel like there's no upward mobility and whatever. Um, And they're just staying there because it's what they know and because it's comfortable. And so sometimes it shows up um, in that way to remind you that you do have other options. You can loosen up your like firm, firm grasping hold on your pentacles and allow yourself to expand, allow yourself to ask for a raise, to apply to a promotion, to apply to another job. If you look at the Smith Waite imagery of this card, which I love, I love this imagery so much, you see a little dude, um, a little person who has four pentacles. Two of them are like sort of clamped under under their feet, under the person's feet, One of them is like clutched at their chest and the other is balanced precariously on their head. And when I see that image, I'm like, wow, you're really like, you're really like tucked in. You're really like grasping, protecting. Um, And like with that one balanced on the pinnacle on top of the head, like how much mobility do you even have? (laughs) Like you have to keep that thing balanced or it's going to topple off. Like there's like a rigidity there too. The person is also wearing a crown in this card. And I call the four of pentacles, the little king for this reason, the little king. And that sounds like really super cute, (laughs) like the little prince, like a children's book. But I mean that, that this card is the little king instead of the big king. This is not the emperor. This is the little king. And the reason that it's a little king is because they are not expanding. They're not expanding. They're staying where they are. In order to, like, if we think of those pentacles that this person is clutching, those pentacles are going to stay the same four pentacles forever unless the little king does something with them, right? Unless the little king uses them to... I don't know, um, buy a horse (laughs) unless a little king invests them somehow and then grows their wealth, right? So the four of pentacles um, can be about enjoying that steady, wonderful, safe energy. But I think that, um, I really do think that most of the time when this card shows up, it is to acknowledge that we have the firm foundations we need. We've got that stability. We've got those four pinnacles, right? We've got the start that we need in order to grow. Take those pinnacles and buy some seeds and plant them. Expand, grow, 
build. That's what I think the Four of Pentacles says. I think it shows up when we're in a good place, um, we're in a safe place, but there's an opportunity for expanding. And the Four of Pentacles shows up to encourage us to take it. Grow those four pentacles into five, into six, into eight, into 12. Expand into the fullness of your potential. Become the big king. Be the emperor. Okay. I think that that's it. I think that's it. Um, That was the fours. And um, remember, I also have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash the word witch. Nope, slash the word witch tarot. <laughs> um, you can hop on there for as little as $2 a month right now in order to get bonus podcast episodes. I do two a month. One's a collective reading and one is a deeper look into the cards that I've talked about on the podcast, specifically a deeper look into the symbolism, like in the images on the cards in the Rider Waite, Smith Waite deck. Um, also, if you liked this podcast, if you liked this episode, give us some stars, give us some stars. Um, you can review if you want to, but like even just like clicking the stars, five please, (laughs) uh, is so, so helpful and it helps other people find the podcast and it makes me feel really good. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. I will see y'all in another two weeks for that question and answer episode, which I'm calling Ask a Witch. Uh, Remember to send me those questions. uh, And that's all. Till next time, stay magical. Bye-bye. Running in circles, but we live within lines. We put ourselves in boxes when the air is just fine. We're digging down to the earth. You've been listening to The Word Witch. Our theme music is Counting Rice by Bitches in the Beehive. Their album Itty Bitty Spaces is out now. The Word Witch is written, produced, and recorded by me, Claire Burgess. Our logo is designed by me too. Editing and tech support come from Danu Vino. You can follow The Word Witch on Instagram at the.word.witch. You can book tarot readings, find out about upcoming classes, and join our newsletter at thewordwitchtarot.com. If you'd like to support this podcast, join my Patreon at patreon.com slash thewordwitchtarot. For as little as $1, you'll receive collective tarot readings, tarot and astro content, downloads of my zines, and podcast outtakes and extras. Plus, you'll help make this podcast possible and help support a working witch. If you have a question for The Word Witch, email us at thewordwitchpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Till next time, stay magical. Just trying to shoot the moon. never think we've got that's just